All right, three, two. Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out west, Adam Stanko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. As we do every Tuesday, recording on Monday, you'll get it at midnight Tuesday. Coming Thursday. Well, they've already got going- it. Huh? I mean, you're saying you'll get it at midnight Tuesday, but in actuality, like, they already got it. If they're listening now, they've already yeah. received I'll do that again. Three, two. <laughs> here we go. Rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out West. Adam Stanko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. We record this on Monday for Tuesday. And on Thursday, mm. you get the Going ISO edition every single week, the long form interview. This week, it's with basketball Hall of Famer, photographer the very first official NBA photographer, Andy Bernstein, who has been the Staples Center official photographer for decades. And he has been the Lakers, the Clippers, the Los Angeles Kings, all the events. So we go all the way back to his first meeting with Kobe and Mm -hmm. how many times Shaq flipped them off during photo shoots. I'll (laughs) give you the exact number. He has 300 photos of Shaq flipping him off. <laughs> Amazing. In- Hall of including, Famer. Hall of Famer, in- Andy. Including one when David Stern was behind him during an MVP trophy presentation. And annoyed. So that's on Thursday, all right here on Rejecting the Screen. We're going to talk about Kawhi in a little bit. But let's talk about the boycott first, which happened last Wednesday. But it's a conversation that should continue. And the big question when it happened was, well, what do the players want? We haven't spoken on the podcast about the ramifications, how it happened, what went down. So as we are a few days out from the boycott, what's on your mind today? I've been hearing a lot from people about the idea that Somehow, the boycott was misguided. And first of all, it's always interesting to me when there's a visceral reaction, which is what we've seen over and over again from players and coaches in the bubble. We are seeing visceral reaction. We are seeing authenticity. We are seeing anger. We are seeing players upset, coaches struggling just to get their words out, but still being so eloquent as we saw with the Doc Rivers speech that was incredible. Mm -hmm. And while this is all taking place, and I'm watching it and maybe through a different lens than than others, uh, based upon their their beliefs about the situation, I'm hearing from people that, well, yeah, but why are these guys doing this? Like, what does the boycott even establish and what's the end game here? They don't really have a goal and they're not playing. So what's the purpose? And which then, of course, starts to go down the rabbit hole of, well, people aren't even watching and I'm not going to watch the NBA anymore and all that, all the all the junk that you end up hearing. But I'm curious, Noah, you and I have spoken about this idea. This is your expertise is messaging and how players present themselves. And you have different clients that you deal with and get their messaging out there and and present them in the best light. But also it's a focus message and what they want to say. And you help them say what it is, I think, is in their heart that they ultimately want to say themselves. What 
what is your message right now? I was so curious to talk to you and sort of just ask you this question. What is your message right now if you were consulting NBA players about their anger, how they're hurt, and they just want to speak and get something out there that that holds weight and is a message going forward? Like we saw Jamal Murray almost speechless after scoring 50 points in, in game six, and he's asked about it. What's your message to those guys? Well, two things. One, I think I should have called it a strike, which it was. And it was initially called a boycott. And then we all kind of fell down just using boycott, but it was a strike. And mm-hmm. two, you do, a, you do a great job of hyping me up. You really do. I have an agent on the broadcast side, but you do, you do such a good job of hyping me up, making me seem. I believe in you. More important than so many other people in my life. <laughs> so I appreciate it. So let's get this out of the way. The NBA players did accomplish something. Two days after their strike, two days after the Bucks walked out and the others followed. And I'll read directly from the press release. The NBA and its players have agreed to immediately establish a social justice coalition with representatives from players, coaches, and governors that will be focused on a broad range of issues, including increasing access to voting, promoting civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform. If you think those are just words, you can't read. Because Mm -hmm. when the players and the coaches and governors, owners of teams, when they put their names down on something like this and it comes from the league and the players association, everybody will be held accountable. And you are seeing increasing access for voting in safe, hassle-free environments in these arenas. And you will be seeing more across the league. In every city where the league franchise owns and controls the arena property, team governors will continue to work with local election officials to convert the facility into a voting location for the 2020 general election to allow for a safe in-person voting option for communities vulnerable to COVID. Boom, done. The league will work with the players and our network partners to create and include advertising spots in each NBA playoff game dedicated to promoting greater civic engagement in national and local elections and raising awareness around voter access and opportunity. So even... Even my daughter, when we had this conversation, and Eden is not yet six, we were talking about the players striking mm-hmm. and ways that, that they could get their voice out. She said, well, why don't they do it at halftime? I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, on TV, why can't the players just talk to everybody who's watching at halftime? I said, it's a really interesting idea. And they might be able to do that through commercials, but at halftime, they've got to be in the locker room and listening to their coach and figure out how to win a game. And then she said, well, why can't they just tell the broadcasters what to say? I said, well, that's also a good point. The broadcasters and the players can be having conversations and the reporters can be having conversations so that the message can get out that they're not simply their PR people, but they can put the players' messages into words where maybe the players simply can't wrap it all up in, in a way that would be delivered that cleanly. So the players themselves have accomplished something already and they will continue to accomplish more. It was a big concern going into the bubble. Will, will be, will we be able to continue this conversation? And then we had this conversation early in the bubble about, Reporters are 
asking questions about the game. The players only want to talk about what's going on personally and what is going on around the country. Reporters need to learn to read the room, but I said it's got to be more on the PR people and have these designated times and to make sure that everybody is happy and everybody can continue to do their job. The thing that was missing from what the the strike and the walkout represented was the clear voice. So I know you're not going to get everybody on the same page. It's impossible. Right. You wouldn't get 300 anybody in any organization all on the same page right away. We all agree. Let's go. This is not going to happen. So I think the one voice and that one clear message was missing immediately. But through the press release, I think the message got out there. Now to move forward, I do think you need a designated voice or two to be able to deliver that message cleanly, clearly, on point, at the right times, and most effectively. Well, and you said it early on. A few weeks ago, you talked about Jalen Brown. And you said when some of these guys have the ability and they all have the platform now, to do exactly that, to have a clear, concise message and with, with goals in mind. And, and, and a couple of things that I, I just I think are, are extremely relevant to this conversation. First of all, this idea of striking or boycotting or making a stand, it, it's always been associated with sports and, and the struggle that black athletes have had. And they understand the risk involved and have still done it. So 61, Bill Russell boycotts an exhibition game after him and his teammates have a problem in Kentucky uh, at a restaurant. I, I think it's how they were they were treated at a restaurant. 1968, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar boycotts the Olympics to fight racism. Uh, 1991, we've talked about it on the podcast. Craig Hodges goes to Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan before the NBA Finals and says, hey, guys, we need more black representation in the league. Let's boycott. <laughs> Magic and Michael say, <laughs> maybe some That's other so time fast. not the finals are the place to do it and 96 Mahmoud Abdul Rauf refuses to stand for the national anthem to fight against what racism and oppression mm-hmm. which we always hear so and now again nearly 25 years later from that we're still dealing with it and one thing I will say you go back in those moments we remember those moments and and the media narrative may have shifted some of those things at the time and presented Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf as uh, someone that was just this outrageous guy. And it was, you know, at first people didn't even notice. And then he's finally asked about it, which brought it to the forefront. But it was like, has these extreme, they're extremists, right? These extreme views. But then history treats these people much kinder because they realize, wow, they're just trying to get a message out. And they're trying to do so in a way that's a peaceful protest. I mean, that's exactly what it is that everyone's clamoring for now when they see when they see the news and see what's going on in Portland and such. And I will say, you have a moment, game six, Jamal Murray, everybody's watching this, just like they were watching week prior when Luka Doncic goes off and goes crazy, it's his, his buzzer beater. Jamal Murray has a career game, goes for 50 points. He's got 142 points in his last three games. And he has this moment where he can't even – express how he's feeling there's sadness there's just this overwhelming feeling that he's dealing with and i think and i I tweeted about this 
yes, there might be adults there that go, come on, get this off the air. I don't want to hear it right now. But I will tell you, there are people, children like your daughter, like my kids, that see these moments. And maybe their parents feel a certain way and have biases or are bigoted. But those kids are being impacted and they're going to ask themselves, why is he doing that? Oh, what? oh, he's not being treated fairly. And it's going to make them ask questions and it's going to foster change moving forward. So you can point to things or why aren't the Bucks playing today? And there are conversations parents have to have with their kids. So you can say that these things don't have an immediate impact as far as I'm concerned. And we can get into the conversation as you are about the clear and concise message. But it shouldn't be lost that every time this stuff happens, there's a parent out there forced to have a conversation with a kid that might not have. And that's going to change future generations. We we hope. We hope. I think I think you're spot on. And it reminded me of the Charles Barkley commercial, the Nike commercial, the famous one of I am not a role model. Yes. Parents are your parents are your role models. <laughs> I am not your role model. I don't want to be your role model. These players want to be role models. They are embracing what it means to be a role model. And I'm not saying all of them, but there are lots of them. And they shouldn't all be bunched in together either. You can call out individuals who are doing great things. Mm -hmm. And where were the folks who were saying shut up and dribble when these players, as soon as the pandemic hit, were taking money out of their own pockets to pay arena workers? Where are those people? So the NBA players have already done things and they will continue to do things. And they do more behind the scenes than you know. And is it their fault that they don't want to be given credit for everything or attach their name to everything? I mean, Shaq's been doing this stuff for years and years of just paying for things and walking up and making someone's day. Why all contributions don't have to have your name on them. I was always, I was always taught personally that when you make a contribution, it's an anonymous contribution, maybe an honor or of somebody that your name isn't associated with it. So do the right. players down need to pump their chests all the time when they do something that's great. Just so a bunch of knuckleheads can understand that they are actually creating change. I think that's, I think that's also unfair. And it wouldn't change their minds. Let's be real anyway. I mean, it, that's the thing because that's the groups that we're, we're talking about. I, I've i always heard character is who you are when, how you act when no one's looking. And and that's yeah, exactly sure. what you're talking about right there, Noah. And And the truth is that you and I get to see it and you and I get to hear about how these players are. It's just like, you know, I remember talking to Kevin O'Neill, and one of the things he told me about NBA players, he goes, you do not realize how smart these guys are. Every time when he was an assistant coach with the with the Pistons, Rick Car- uh, under Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle would have him speak, let's say, I don't know, every Tuesday or something, like to the guys and give a, give a speech and talk to them. He said he would spe- be up all night the night before, like memorizing his speech because he would – be so nervous because he was so worried about impressing them because they were all so imposing, mostly because just how much basketball knowledge they had and how bright they were. And he had to impress this upon them as an assistant coach. And I just think these players on the whole, 
are so impressive. And part of that idea of them being impressive is what they do for the communities. And as you point out, we don't hear a lot of it publicly. And it's sort of in a weird way, it's like a lose-lose. Like if they make a big deal of it publicly, well then look, this guy's showy and what he's doing it for the wrong reasons. If they don't say anything, then you think, oh, he's selfish and it's just these millionaires that are they're speaking out. What do they really do for the community or what have you? All right. On that point, I want to close with this. About five, six, seven years ago, I was hosting a, a weekend show on Sirius XM NBA radio with a co-host, Brian Geltziler. And I introduced this segment. It was a, a 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern time show. And at the top of the eight o'clock hour, I introduced this segment called Bits of Positivity. Because mm-hmm. he was a pretty negative guy. And, you know, and oftentimes on the radio, negativity, quote unquote, sells when you're talking about a player and that type of thing, because that's what gets people to react. So I created this segment, Bits of Positivity, the top of the eight o'clock hour after running through you know the scores from the night before to spend three minutes on something that a player did great on the court and a player did great off the court that week. So whether it was a major contribution financially in the community, whether someone opened up a boys and girls club, whether Zach Randolph was keeping the lights on in Memphis or any number of things. It's, it's not difficult to find because you can go to any team site and on their community page, you can find what the players are doing in the community. So I got eye roll after eye roll after eye roll from my co-host, but I kept on going. Until I finally got a call from above saying, all right, it's time to knock this off. Which I knew, which I was pissed off at the time. Right. Like, so I'm taking three minutes to highlight something that's great about one of these guys off the court. And you're telling me, mm, no, that's not, we're not going to do it anymore. It's just not you good radio. For it you know, it's not good block. radio. It's, you know, it's not good radio is when your co-host doesn't buy into something. If I was, if I was selling snake oil, yeah, I wouldn't expect my co-host to buy into it. <laughs> but I'm trying to highlight something that one of the players did in the community. So that was it. it and it, I, was, I was forced to end it. And it's kind of sickening that to say I was ahead of my time when it comes to highlighting and applauding what NBA players were doing off the court. <laughs> no one should ever be ahead of their time with that. God forbid we highlighted something in a three hour show, spent three minutes on it, and then moved on. A bit of positivity. Hear that stuff, a bit of positivity. And that's literally what it was. It was a bit. So, so who three knows? minutes over the course of right. three hours. So, so maybe if more people across the country on a national radio program heard about what these players were doing in the community. Who knows? Maybe it changes. Or maybe it did change, or maybe it would have continued to change one person's mind, two, three, four, five, about what these guys stand for. Coming up, go on the court with a two-time finals MVP whose name somehow is getting lost in the shuffle. RockAuto.com, a family business that has been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com, shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers because there are so 
many makes and models of cars. You can just go on rockauto.com and they make it so easy to just navigate in their catalog, filter all sorts of things, and you get the best price. So why would you choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or one of those new car dealerships when you can get things on their site for a reliably low price? You can choose the brand, the specification, and those prices. So go to rockauto.com right now. You can see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D space on, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The biggest names in the bubble have been, and I feel like this bubble has been going on for a year now, Booker, Lillard, Luca, Donovan, Murray. Murray. Or did Shaq call him Murphy? Yeah, I want to say Shaq called him Murphy. I didn't even mention LeBron or sure. AD. Sure. But what about Kawhi? A two-time finals MVP. The mm-hmm. reigning finals MVP. Looking to win a third title and a third finals MVP with a third team. In this series, he just went for 33-10-5 and on 54% shooting against, yes, an undermanned Mavericks team, but his Clippers team was severely undermanned. And he's coming off five straight 30-point games for the first time in his career. So a two-time finals MVP and a top three player in the league is doing things that he's never done before. And I get the sense that it's, Oh, hum. Kawhi. Noah, on Sunday, he's the first player to put up 30, 10 boards, five assists, five steals in a playoff game since Gary Payton did it 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you go, wow, that's crazy. 30 points, 10 boards, five assists, five steals. And then you go, okay, what are his numbers for the series? What did he put up? 32 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, 5.2 assists a game, and 2.3 steals. So what hadn't been done in 20 years, he nearly averaged that for the entire series, which is bananas. We know what he does on the defensive end. Wait, so let's put him in the Jordan category. In 89, Jordan was the only other one who's ever put up a line of 33, 14, 7, and 5 steals. And that happened in a, play- in a playoff game, and that happened in 89. Mm-hmm. So now it's Kawhi and Jordan. I mean, think about how bananas that is. Think about how insane it is that we're talking about a guy. Now, again, and we talked about this last week, I still believe we 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 don't have enough asterisks to go around. Yeah. We don't. We don't. I I we will look back at this year. We all thought it was happening for the for the for whoever wins the title, and we would say that that team was gonna have an asterisk. Now it's all of these records, what happened with Murray, Donovan Mitchell, the 50-point games, LeBron's putting up historic numbers, Doncic, uh, certainly Kawhi Leonard. But I will say, in spite of all of that, Leonard's consistency on both ends of the floor is at such a high level that it just cannot, it can't be ignored. And somehow, too, I think it has to do with the fact that I think people started to believe because of the Doncic magic 
that they started to believe that the Clippers might lose this series. They still went win in six. Mm-hmm. They still walk away from that. And that was with Paul George being inconsistent throughout the series. Right, right. Not just inconsistent, Adam. Bad. So if you take out his 35 points in game five when he went 12 of 18, four of eight from three, he averaged 15 mm-hmm. a game on 29.5% shooting and 23% shooting from three. That's dreadful for a number two. Pat Beverly played one game. Montrez Harrell played 18 minutes a game at nine points, three boards. And for the season, he was a 28-minute-a-game guy, <laughs> six-man-of-the-year candidate, averaging 18 and a half and seven boards. So Kawhi, and what, what stood out even more so was on the court, of course, he's going to get to his spots no matter what. There, there's no stopping Kawhi from getting where he wants where he wants to go. And the trouble is he's comfortable in so many different spots. Doc said it after the game. You could tell he was the one guy that's used to closing a series. Right. Are many of those guys around the league? Clippers don't have any except for Kawhi. Paul George had done it a long time ago in the Eastern Conference. And last year, he was the top five MVP candidate. But to close out a series like this when the rest of your team was really hurting, Doc saw it. We all saw it. Absolutely. And I'll say one other thing statistically about Kawhi Leonard. When you look at what he shot, and it's because, as you point out, he can get to where he wants to get on the floor. I've said it before about Dick Carter, who believed that you know you need the the three shots that you have to be able to hit. You got to mm-hmm. hit free throws. You got to make your shots, you know, down low, up close, layups, whatever you want to call it. But then you also need a favorite spot on the floor. With Kawhi getting to the mid range, especially, he is so strong that he can get to the mid-range, rise up, and you can't challenge it. So he gets to wherever he wants to go with his strength, which is so imposing, those huge hands. And then he rises up, and he's just so consistent. And so statistically for him, he had his worst shooting game of the series. Game four, he was 10 of 22, 45% from the field. Every other game, 52%, 47%, 54 63 60 just consistent production because of shot selection and where he wants to get on the floor. And he only had one game in the series in which he shot less than 90% from the line. So you can't foul him because he's phenomenal. He's a robot at the line now. And he can get to wherever he wants on the floor. So you're stuck. You can't overplay him because it's sort of like the Harden conundrum. You can't put him on the line because he's going to make his free throws. And then based upon his strength and his ability to create his own shot, he sets up a situation for his own separation where he's going to get easy shots for himself. And that leads to consistent production deadly on the offensive end. And then forget what he does defensively where he just locks guys down. It's unbelievable. And, and is he, has he always been this good of a passer? That's a great question. I, I think this has been the next, the next step in his game is that, and here's the thing when he was in college, There's two things you could say about Kawhi Leonard. One, he had a really good handle for a guy that was his size. And two, he was a crazy good rebounder. It's funny because we don't think about him, you know, the board man stuff came up. But like, but you don't think about Kawhi Leonard as that. You think about him as a defensive wing who's athletic. and But like, yeah, excellent passer. Excellent passer makes guys better. And then combined, you know, the rebounding is going to be there defensively. He already does all the little things. So when he's not missing shots, 
He's unreal, man. He is he's special. Let's start talking about him, Noah. We just did. Oh. Coming up, a little bit of life. So you texted me this week saying that I've got a story for you. Mm. I didn't ask for details. I figured, you know what? Just tell me on the podcast and get a live reaction. So what's up? So my buddy Gio, who's a who's a barber, excellent barber, by the way. Does hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is this your barber or is he a buddy who is a barber? He's my of course barber. He's, he's your barber who has become your buddy. He's so here's here here's so let's let's talk about this for a moment. I have a lot of friends. I do. Yeah. And I've been I've been told. Look, you keep in touch. You keep in touch with a lot of people. You do a great job maintaining relationships. And I take great pride in it. And I think that's why the two of us have, have we became such good, fast friends. Mm-hmm. I think you talk to too many people every day. <laughs> yeah, that's because, true. Because I don't even, when you say, when we're talking basketball things and you'll, mm-hmm. and you, and you'll say, well, I'm hearing, I, when most people say that, yeah, they're referring to Twitter. You're referring to people oh, yeah. you actually have spoken to on the phone or have gotten texts from. Yeah, yeah, typically, typically. But we're both the same way in that regard. I think it's just more, you're just not as close with your barber or the family that owns the pizza shop and Trish over there. It's just, it, look, it's different. Well, my childhood, regard. my well, the guy who cut my hair, uh, Raymond Godfrey in, in Philadelphia, he'd been cutting my hair. He was the only one who ever cut my hair until I got to college. And he'd been cutting my, my parents' hair. So when I was living in Philadelphia, when I was back in, in Philadelphia during the mm-hmm. pandemic, well, the pandemic is still going on, but for those five months, sure. I went and got my hair. Raymond cut my hair again. And Raymond's a very close family friend. He was at our wedding, of course. Great, great family friend. But that was a connection through my grandmother, not just you know a barber I okay. met and became friends with. So, so Gio tells me, <laughs> so, so Gio tells me the other day as I'm, as I'm getting an outdoor haircut with, with masks on and Gio handles that. If anyone wants to get a good haircut, he'll help you or he'll do it remotely. Even I want to, I want to help out his business. Gio and Wendy have a, a mom and pop shop now, his and hers. And I want to help them out because how are you doing did that you, right now? Did you say he would do it remotely? Yeah, like what I mean is he'll show you how you if you're worried about going to a barbershop right now, he will he will help you out if you get clippers and he'll he'll do a FaceTime call with you. Really? And walk you through your haircut. Yeah. Oh, I would I would love to be on the other end of that. And that sounds like one of those like Ellen DeGeneres bits where she's telling the person in their ear what to say. So he she so she would be speaking to Gio and then and the other person at <laughs> the line who's like, All right, take a three, and he's like no, no, no! I, I, no, I meant eight. I meant uh, you. You effed it up. <laughs> He's excellent. That happened. Kate, Kate did one for me. We we called Gio. Did a Facetime call at one point, and uh, he was nice enough to handle it. He had actually dropped off some clippers and and, let, and some scissors and let me go to work. So we we were in good shape. But Gio tells me the story as I'm there. He said that he had he had just had a medical procedure because on his on his backside on his butt. He had what he thought was an ingrown hair. It turned out to be a spider bite. Okay. Okay. So ends up having, this ends up becoming a big issue for Gio. They take care of it though. Right. So that that's handled. 
But he tells me the story. It's not that part. He says that they had these, these spiders in his house that were like, had bit the family. Okay. Bit some of the family and he was ticked off and they ended up moving because of it. It needed to be, to be handled in, in their place. But when they had the spiders, so this just happened a few weeks ago. At one point, he's walking up his stairway and to go from the first floor to the second floor of his, of his condo. And he looks up on the ceiling and he sees one of these spiders. And he's like, oh, just like I've seen you post on your Instagram stories, like you get all excited about killing the bugs. Gio was like, I'm getting this spider. Yes, yes. He's like, I'm getting this spider. So he gets out the tall ladder, right? Not the, not the medium-sized ladder. Gets out the tall ladder, high ceiling. He gets on his ladder and he starts climbing up the ladder, gets to the top. He's got like a shoe and he's about to just kill the spider. And as he goes for it, spider jumps. No. Lands, lands on him. Home Alone and style. As yeah. And as it lands on him, same thing, falls off the ladder. So here's the part of the story, though. Falls off the ladder. He's falling backwards. Keep in mind, tall ladder. He hits the ground. It might be lights out for Geo, right? Daughter, Luna, same age as Hudson, three years old, is freaking out. All this happening in slow motion and everything. Everyone's screaming. As he's falling, he says he falls literally off the ladder. Someone grabs him, puts him back onto the ladder. He had fallen off. He's huh? in the air, suspended. Someone grabs him, puts him back on the ladder. Noah, I am not someone who believes in ghosts, in spirits, in, in, in weird occurrences, okay? He ends up back on the ladder. Wait, so wait, hold on. Let's, wait, I want to be clear. No one actually physically grabbed him? No one was there. There are no people there behind him. There's a wall behind him. No one grabs okay. him, puts him back on the ladder, okay? He's telling me this story. I love Gio to death. I trust him. But as he's telling me the story, I'm like, okay, you know, like same reaction you have now. So he shows me a video he had taken of him telling the story in the mirror. I think it was a, I don't know, a TikTok or Snapchat story or something. And he shows me the video he had. And he's looking at himself in the mirror with like a tank top shirt. And he shows me there is a handprint on his arm, full red handprint, clear as day. I will send it to you. We could post it on our social media yeah, channel please. at rejecting underscore, underscore the, the underscore, underscore screen. screen. Yeah. Noah, handprint on his arm saying something just saved me from falling off the ladder. As someone who does not believe in spirits and ghosts and the afterlife like like i was just whoa i told kate she's freaking out so i just wanted your reaction so what do i get yeah i mean i think you got my reaction (laughs) 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 it's bananas what do you want me to say (laughs) there you go at rejecting underscore the underscore screen on Instagram is where we'll post a photo. We'll also do it on Twitter. Maybe we'll use, why are we posting this photo for our basketball podcast? Click here. Strong. Or subscribe for the answer. And while you're there, rate and review the podcast. You know what I think? I think David Locke's going to listen, you know, runs Locked On Network. Sure. He's going to go, he's going to go, I'm big spirits guy actually believe that stuff happens that happened to me once second grade 
someone great. Kept me we, great. We can start. We, we we can start a whole spirit conversation. Engagement rates through the roof. <laughs> at Naismith lives on Twitter is where you find Adam. I'm at Noah Koslov, C O S L O V. On the Locked On Podcast Network, speaking to David Locke, you get him on Thursdays, hosting with Ben Golliver, the Washington Post, from the bubble. Mm-hmm. Locked On NBA, that's the program. It's five days a week. Also, Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd and Hollinger and Duncan. John Hollinger, Nate Duncan, they're doing exit interviews this week. Plus, your team every day. All 30 teams here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, on Thursday, the Going ISO edition, the long form, about an hour with Andy Bernstein, the Hall of Fame photographer terrific terrific stories unbelievable stories you have to listen to that one to enjoy that and everything else here on the rejecting the screen feed adam thanks pal you are the best and so's geo